This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash God is Gray. Now, on to the episode. I'm very grateful for the way you approached Bethel and your willingness to talk to me yesterday. So I told you that it's a scary place being me. Yeah. I and so um, I just really, really appreciate your, your willingness to go into the liminal space, the neutral space, and say, okay, well, let's, let's hear your perspective rather than allowing presumption. We have to get a fix on what human dignity is and how we honor and value one another. Yeah. And, and we spend a lot of time looking at superficialities and not actually getting to know one another and see one another through the eyes of God. Hi, beautiful people. So many of you may be aware that Bethel Church in Reading just released a couple Instagram posts about their changed movement. This is a non-affirming movement, a support group, if you will, for people that identify as same-sex attracted. In non-affirming communities, this terminology, SSA, or same-sex attracted, is preferred over LGBTQ because these Christians do not want to make their sexuality a part of their identity. They consider their sexual attraction just that, an attraction, a desire, an experience, instead of an innate part of who they are. So when I saw these posts, I myself, along with many, many other people, were really upset by this. I couldn't imagine that this movement that does not affirm the LGBTQ community could be any different than conversion therapy. Most notably, conversion therapy was spearheaded by Alan Chambers and Exodus International. This organization was supposedly helping people come out of same-sex attraction into living a heterosexual lifestyle. But the organization shuttered its doors and Alan Chambers reported a 99.9% failure rate. Some people even put that number at 100%. If you've seen a movie like Boy Erased, if you've heard stories about people that survived conversion therapy, you will know that a lot of these environments became very abusive, not only emotionally but physically. So again, when when these posts came out, I was actually furious and I was trying to keep myself contained and I did put up a comment trying to highlight the way I feel about this. I'm not insanely familiar with Bethel Church, but I have been looking at a lot of sermons that have come out of that church about the LGBTQ community and to be honest, some of them have been absolutely vile. I'm thinking of responding to this one in particular that someone in the God is Great community sent me. I was told that this was deleted off their website because this pastor managed to shame LGBTQ people, completely invalidate the trans person's experience. If I say to you, I'm pansexual, which means I may be a boy today and a girl tomorrow, or I may be a man attracted to a man today and be a man attracted to a woman tomorrow. All while somehow also talking trash about the Me Too movement and slut shaming. If you're walking around like this, I just don't know why those men, you know, 
So this sermon is a real gem, but also I'm balanced enough to recognize that not everyone within an organization represents everyone and everything in that organization. Is Bethel affirming? No. Has there been toxic messages that have come from the top? Yes. And this is really the foundation of Elizabeth Woning's intention behind the changed movement. She identified as LGBTQ for much of her life. She lost her ordination after coming out as LGBTQ. She attended seminary as an openly gay Christian and then had an experience that she says brought her out of what a non-affirming community would call a lifestyle and into a heterosexual marriage with her current husband. Elizabeth is the co-founder of the change movement and the reason she was willing to talk to me is because of a pre-conversation we had yesterday. I told her if she said anything she later regretted that I would be willing to delete it because I give all my guests that courtesy. And I also promised her this would not be a gotcha video. I didn't tuck any questions into my pocket to attack her or spring them on her. And some of you might disagree with this approach. Some of you might be angry or frustrated with how I conducted this interview. But for anyone who feels that way, I hope that you'll stick around to the end of the interview and I will put up the audio only on the God is Great podcast if you prefer to listen to it that way because we do end up finding some common ground in the very end. I will make it very clear right here, right now, that I 100% affirm the LGBTQ community as a Christian. The Bible says that God made us all a reflection of himself. I think the LGBTQ community is a part of what God is talking about. So that is my point of view. Elizabeth does not share that point of view. My intention is truly to figure out how we can have these dialogues of people that we really disagree with and do it in such a way that maybe just maybe we can change their mind. I didn't outwardly try to change any perspectives she had in this video, but I did offer as much dissenting opinion as I could without pushing her away. And I truly hope I did a good job for the LGBTQ community and all its allies. As an accompaniment to this video, I'm also going to release an interview on Thursday. This interview is so important to me because this will be me sharing a conversation with an LGBTQ Christian. Kevin Garcia is an amazing gay man. He is not identified as SSA. He is homosexual, proud to be it, and I really wanted anyone that watches this video to be able to get the counterpoint, to be able to see someone that identifies as LGBTQ and a Christian and is 100% living in peace happiness and joy in his relationship with God. And that's it. Please like, subscribe, share with your friends, donate to my Patreon or Venmo if you can. I love you guys so much. God bless. Hi, beautiful people. <laughs> so I am really excited to introduce you guys to Elizabeth Woning. She is the co-founder of the Change Movement at Bethel Church. Could you tell us a little more about yourself? So I... Um... As you said rightly, I'm co-founder of Changed, and uh, Changed, the Changed movement is just a network of men and women who have come out of LGBT. They some have identified as gay or lesbian. Others um, grew up in the church where it's less less common to come out and be and identify yourself as LGBT. So there's a real wide gamut of people who are in Changed, but Changed doesn't offer services. It's not really a ministry. It's a community of people who, uh, because of our shared backgrounds, uh, fellowship together. So we started um, connecting with people last year. Ken and I did kind of accidentally. And so now I know hundreds of people who have chosen to leave the LGBT community to follow their faith. Um, I'm a pastor and uh, I have a master's degree in theology. And I want to get into your story and everything because just to be candid with you guys in the God is Great community, Elizabeth and I had a little pre-conversation beforehand yesterday because we really wanted to touch base and also because I think there's a lot of fear, rightfully so, with the um, 
discord and us versus them mentality that we experience a lot in our society today between people that disagree or even people who presume to disagree. So we wanted to make sure this wasn't going to be a volatile conversation in any way. Um, if you're hoping I'm going to come after Elizabeth, that's not going to happen. Um, there's not going to be any gotcha questions or anything. We're just going to have a really honest conversation. And this is just an opportunity for you guys to peek in um, to how you can have disagreement um, in love with others, especially other believers, because I think believers can be oftentimes the cruelest people group to one another. <laughs> so, um, so let's see. I was telling Elizabeth yesterday that the main concern I'm getting from the God is Great community in your emails and in your comments is that the change movement is no different than conversion therapy. Um, for anyone who doesn't know conversion therapy, you know, actually, do you know more about conversion therapy than I do about the, the history or when that even began in America? So uh, homosexuality was removed from the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of the APA in the 70s. Mm -hmm. And up till that point, um, aversive techniques like shock therapy were used to address homosexuality. So it was, a, it was an accepted scientific practice um, with the, the APA um, into the 70s, um, much like uh, ECT is for bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. so, um, so its practice was not uh, – it was – I think it's taken on an I, you know, kind of a mythological proportion in terms of understanding shock therapy as it used to be. Um, what well, that's fair. I do know a bit about that because when it was considered uh, just a straight mental disorder, and there was so much less understanding around being LGBTQ. Obviously, those are very very dark times, but. Then the dark times continued within the church um, in thanks to Alan Chambers and the Exodus International, which is an organization, I'm not sure what year he closed, but when they shuttered their doors, he said it was because they experienced a 99.9% .9 failure rates in their clientele as far as like changing um, people's sexual orientation. And to your point, some of those places and... Um, you know, organizations were very abusive physically. If anyone saw Boy Erased, there is a lot of physical, you know, anguish and emotional torture that can go on in those places. But I think the main concern with myself and a lot of people in my community um, or a lot of dissenting voices that had negative things to say on your post um, on Instagram is that this still is an emotionally abusive practice to tell people there is something about yourself, the way that you are, that is fundamentally flawed or something that is unlovable by God um, or that you will be not welcome in the community of God if you live out, um, you know, being LGBTQ. So what do you say about anyone that would say changed movement could still steer into emotional abuse, emotional anguish, as far as that goes? Well, so I, I think it's important. I mean, I'm not trying to say that, for example, some of the practices in Boy Erased. Um, so I have, friend, I have a friend who went through John Smith's um, ministry and um, didn't experience the things that were described in that movie and never saw any of those things in his experience while he was in that program. Like I'm saying, no, we need conversion therapy. And that's not my perspective. So let me just back up and say, let me tell a little bit about me because I think my background is important for people to understand so I agree and right before you jump into that I did want to say I am not at all implying or meaning to imply that you advocate for abusive techniques it's just that some people may think that being told LGBTQ is a sin or whatever could be an emotional abuse to the spirit and to the mind 
so we can get into that later, but like it has nothing, you know, it's not about the, the physical abuse. And I do understand that that's not something changed advocates for. I mean, like I said, all of us are, some people in our group have gone through conversion therapy and would say they benefited greatly from it. Okay. So let's get into that. I would be really interested. So let's get into your story first, because it is much more interesting than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I I get the feeling that, and, and this is a point of pain for me personally, I get the feeling that people here changed and assume that none of us can relate to what the LGBT community is saying, or we have no link, you know, as if we're the, the horrible outsiders that are... Uh, oppressing these insiders, the LGBT community, when in fact, all of us have left the LGBT community. So, I mean, it's like, okay, if you had a friend, if you had a friend who uh, identified as lesbian and said, oh, I just had an experience of the Lord that is making me question whether my participation and my identification, my participation with the gay community, my activism, for example, or my agreement that I'm a lesbian is not right for my life, how would you respond? Um, and, and all of us are in that position of having sought for ourselves God's heart for our lives and believe that for us, LGBT wasn't right. And so let me just tell you what that looked like in my, in my life, because I don't think, I don't think people can imagine that. Right. Personally. Like I, I, I just can't, um, so I came out in my early 20s, and um, I, I had first begun recognizing my attraction to women when I was around 16. So um, I had kind of sat on my experience, which is common. You just kind of mull it over. You question yourself. You go through years of questioning, trying to understand what is this that I'm experiencing and what do I do? And now this was in the 80s, right? So, yeah, I was going to ask for context. Were there LGBTQ people in your life? Were you in church at that time? Like, what did the atmosphere around you look like as far as your education on being LGBTQ? Yeah, um, I had never met a person who identified as LGBT. Wow. And I, and I had never heard, I had never heard about homosexuality. That's wow. that's how, that's how like sheltered. I grew up in a rural uh, Midwestern community. Like I had no idea that it was a thing and that there was a big community, that it was, a, you know, an actual thing that other people experienced. Wow. And so then when I met my first girlfriend, then, um, you know, at first I really had trouble understanding what was going on. And then, you know, as you search for understanding, you look beyond, you know, your boundaries. And, and so I, um, for years, grappled with, okay, who am I? And as a young woman or as a girl, I, I, I hated, I was totally your classic tomboy. I hated the things that my friends liked. I hated playing with dolls. I wanted to play with football. I wanted to play football. I wanted to, I wanted to be powerful and strong and those are awesome. But in, when I was a child, I didn't have very many women role models who were doing that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there was just a lot about being a woman that was challenging for me. And, um, so then getting involved with my first girlfriend, um, It, it was, it seemed very fulfilling, right? And um, when I came out in my early 20s, it felt like coming home. It felt like finally I was able to just be me, right? No more struggle. And I bet all your LGBT friends feel that way too. You know, it was like that, okay, finally here is a group of people I don't have to measure up to or... You know, so my experience in the gay community, it felt, it felt really right. And so then um, I grew up in the church. Um, I wasn't evangelical. I grew up in the Reformed tradition. Um, and I always, 
Huh? Did they ever mention, uh, you know, nothing. Okay. And, and, you know, I mean, all of my friends, like Ken Williams, the other founder of change, he grew up in a Baptist tradition and, you know, sexual sin was like daily in your face. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's that, how I was raised. <laughs> that was not my experience. I, I was, my parents are very intellectual. I grew up in a, in a very intellectual environment. The church I went to was that way. And, um, but I had always loved theology, theological history. And, and so I decided in my late twenties that I would go to seminary. And so when I was 30, I started my first year in seminary and, and I was describing to you that, um, you know, I, I know what it's like to be rejected by the church. Now I haven't experienced some of the, I've, I have friends who have experienced really horrible traumas from the church in the sense of severe rejection. But as I was describing, you know, when I, when I came out, I, um, I was an ordained elder in my church. So I decided that I would go to seminary openly gay and, um, I needed my pastor's reference in order to get in. And so I told him that I was gay and that then set down the path of, well, you're going to have to explain to the session that you're a lesbian. Mm-hmm. And so then that went down the path of I was asked to step down. I was I lost my ordination as an elder. So I, I had to lay down leadership in the church in order to continue. And that was very painful. Yeah, I can imagine. And did you have to lay it down? Because we talked yesterday as well about how I've noticed a change in the rhetoric from the church. It used to be being gay itself was a sin. And now it's sort of transitioned to acting on homosexuality as a sin. So were you, did you lose your ordination because you were saying, no, I'm not repentant of this? Or because just because you were gay? Well, I wasn't seeking, you know, I, that's a good question. I don't know. I was thinking about that yesterday when you had said being gay is a sin, and I really hadn't thought about that. I mean, for me, it was literally because I was, there was no conversation on whether I was willing to be a celibate Christian, even though this was my, you know? Yeah. And when I was in seminary, we were a group of like a half a dozen students who came, you know, in seminary. And um, we we were contending, we were trying to influence um, the churches that were connected to our seminary to allow LGBT people to be ordained. And what we were contending for was um, chastity and celibacy, you know? Um, so uh, anyway, that was a long time ago. Long story short, uh, I graduated. I have a master's in theology. And, and I was describing that when I was in seminary, we were the first class to really demand that gay theology be examined. And so, you know, we read a bunch of theology predecessors to Matthew Vines and others, like Mel White, for example. And um, then after I graduated from seminary, I moved to a really small rural area and um, started doing youth ministry. Now, I had been doing youth ministry in a large metropolitan area uh, in the gay community among youth. And um, I went to a meeting, and I had... Um, a supernatural experience, a mystical experience is what I told you yesterday, that caused me to question what I believed about God. And um, I, it set me on this journey. I don't know whether it is to describe to you what that was like. So at, I had been invited by a local pastor. So he had seen me in the neighborhood and and I was butch so I didn't present myself as a beautiful woman and um so he saw me and thought well I probably I should I should witness to her she's not saved Uh and and so we met and um I was he was parked behind me it was a circumstance where I was trying to get to work and he said well where are you headed and I said, well, I'm headed to my office. I'm a pastor. And it just the look on his face was just like, no, that, that can't be possible. And, you know, in my mind, what I thought was, what, a woman can't be a pastor? But in his mind, it was, no, a lesbian can't be a pastor. 
and and that began conversations just like we're having right now and um so he invited me to one of his youth meetings he was a youth pastor and and in that meeting a 17 year old boy gave me what he called a word from the lord and that turned out to be a specific answer to something i had been praying about mm. and i had never i I, had ne- I didn't have any context for that. I had never believed that you could you could be personally known, that you could actually interact with God. Wow. And, so, and so, you know, and I would, you know, in my circle of pastors, that was not possible wow. to, okay. to hear directly from God. And so it caused me to start rereading the Bible. And... Um, because I was like, wow, who is this? Because this is not what I thought. Um, it just caused me to question a lot of things. Not my sexuality. It had nothing to do with my sexuality. Because I believed I'd been born gay. God had created me that way. Um, I didn't believe he was ashamed of me. So um, in, in that first year then, I committed to just pursuing who God was. And I thought, um, I just cut off all the outside voices. So I thought, all right, I need to know what I think about this. And so, you know, I didn't do anything but read the Bible and go to services, pray. I cut myself off from most of my friends. Um and just went on a personal journey. And it was on that, in that time of prayer that I began to learn how to hear from the Lord and began to question my sexuality. And um, in the context of that, um, a lot of questions came up for me about what God wanted, what he wanted from me based on what I was reading in Scripture, what Scripture actually said, and and then what was true about my life. And uh, I, I ultimately um, began to believe that I had given myself to an idea that wasn't true about me. And so I began looking at scripture and saying, what, what are the implications if I'm not a lesbian, but just a woman? And I began to question how much my... Um, commitment to that identity separated me from people as opposed to um, helping me belong and accept myself. And so um, it was a, it was a powerful journey and, you know, a troubling one. Mm. It wasn't an easy journey. Like I described yesterday that, you know, at some point um, about a year and a half later, I, then I began developing attractions for the man that I'm married to. And when I talk about that publicly, I say it was really humiliating. It was painful um, and shocking. And um, my, my realization that everything that I had believed about myself while I was in the lifestyle was kind of shaken and falling apart was a troubling, it was a challenging experience. Someone today might have called it abusive, except that it was my own, it, it was just me. It was my own experience. Yeah. Well, this is what I think is so unique about your experience, is that it is a journey that you went on personally. And it's interesting to me that you were so immersed and devoted to uh, theological study and everything and being in the seminary without understanding you can have that personal connection to God. Because for me, if I didn't have that, I would not be wasting my time. (laughs) So that's really interesting. I did want to clarify for some people that don't already know some of the lingo that is, you know, used in the world traditionally versus what is used in um, non-affirming communities. So you wouldn't call yourself gay or LGBTQ. You're SSA, which means same-sex attracted or at least you were, um, maybe in the world someone would call you bisexual (laughs) because you managed to have this attraction to someone else of the opposite sex after all these years of having same-sex attraction. Um, 
is that ever anything you considered as a possibility or did you see it as like this is a full transition from one to the other and now the other has gone away? Well, I mean, you know, Brenda, the semantics around this is really interesting and, and challenging because, um, one of the things I've had to really grapple with is what, what is the label? And, and like, um, is it just describing a state of being? So is it just my state of having same sex attraction or, you know, how, how, how does my same sex attraction, um, cause me to be different than other people? So I like other women, what, how do I, well, I think there's, there's a slightly deep, like there's a, yeah. So, I mean, I would never, sure. Someone could say, well, actually you were never a lesbian. You were just, a, just bisexual. But in order for me to say, okay, I'm bisexual, then I would have to be embracing that label as, as my sexuality. And I don't because I, I don't have any desire. I went from kind of focusing on relationships with women to re to my relationship with my husband. And I, I don't spend any time cultivating the other, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think the funny thing about what you're saying is that anyone, and I can speak for myself as an affirming Christian, um, I see it exactly the same way. Why is a label so important? Why is someone's sexuality the distinction? Why is that the thing that we have to hold on the pedestal or highlight again and again about a person when there's so many other facets to a human being, especially to a spiritual human being seeking Jesus? It doesn't seem relevant to me the way that it is in a lot of church communities. And I think... I know also, um, for anyone that's not familiar with non-affirming communities, it is considered a lifestyle, a choice, like you said, more of a state of um, acting upon desire versus having it as an identifying trait of yourself or embracing the fact that it is a part of your identity. Is that the same way you describe it? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think I've spent... I spent a lot of a lot of time grappling with this idea, and I think, you know, in some ways, I feel like the reason why we would make it paramount in our lives is because um, sexual intimacy is the is the deepest way we can be known. You know, you talk about being sex positive, like sex is a a, a really vulnerable deep knowing of another person in the right context, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, with someone who literally wants to know you or you want to know them and you're sharing your bodies as gifts to one another, that is a place of deep knowing, right? Yeah. And I, I feel like um, one of the reasons why we apply that label and we get identification from that label is because of the search for that deep level of intimacy and, and that, you know, I, I wonder if that place of intimacy is why we would identify ourselves in that way. I don't know. I grapple with that a lot. But I can say that one of the – so because of my background, a great deal of my time is spent in non-affirming or – I don't – like non-affirming church environments, helping them even wrap their minds around what the experience is like. like and even um, what is what is it like to grow up feeling that you don't belong, that you could at any moment be like shown the door? <laughs> like what is it? It feels so um, intensely raw and frightening. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so I spend a lot of time talking to churches about that experience and how to just start to see people. Interestingly enough, I've been doing a lot of research on Bethel since the Instagram post came out for change. And 
Almost every sermon I watched was imparted by a heterosexual married white dude talking trash, really, on the LGBTQ community. And there was so much they, them, the people out there, the culture, like the people. And I was like, do you not understand there are going to be LGBTQ or same-sex attracted people in your congregation right now? And you're speaking as though they're outside somewhere. How are you not seeing how alienating that is for some 13, 17, whatever year old girl sitting there being like, oh my God, I'm not welcome here. Like, that's true. There's no... How does that have a welcoming spirit? It would be impossible to be welcome. So I am grateful that you are saying, hey, I've been there. I've experienced this. I know the alienation. I know the journey I've been on. Um, but then I think the fear or the concern then goes and swings back around to you uh, yesterday as well mentioned that change movement is about a handful of people that have had these mystical experiences or have had these moments in their prayer life where they came to these conclusions on their own. You know, you're not trying to change anyone's mind on anything. But when you say you're able to explore your sexuality safely in that environment, or it, it even yesterday too, you said um, it gives you a choice. Because if you are finding yourself same-sex attracted, in the world and you're embracing that you might not feel like you have a choice to turn away from that and lead a heterosexual lifestyle. But the question becomes, are you actually allowed to explore your sexuality? Is there actually a choice or is the only choice the Bible says this and therefore the conclusion, if you are truly seeking God, if you're truly a Christian will be that I reject that and I am heterosexual or SSA, but abstinent. Well, I mean, so the, once again, it comes down a little bit to semantics because I think, I, and I am not, I'm not a spokesperson for Bethel. Like I can't represent Bethel church and I have, um, and I, I wouldn't, I'm just not qualified to do that. So that's fine. You know, <laughs> um, I, and I, I believe though that, well, I, I believe that leadership from Bethel church is learning. And I, I think that they're being honest about learning, right. but at the same time, um, like I said earlier, is, is the label a state of being or is it allegiance to a culture? And, and it seems to me that it's allegiance to a culture and and if you couldn't disagree more with even how you describe the natural attraction you had at 16 when you're going through, you know, puberty, like I don't know any LGBTQ people are like that. That parade looks fun. I think I'll go through the hell of coming out to my family and having to be like, <laughs> why? Why would you do that unless it was an earnest truth? I think, you know, um, yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I agree with you in that. Um, I think that when uh, when you hear sermons that would not be affirming from the evangelical non-affirming church, you know, that, that they're looking at the culture, because it is us versus them. It's a bunch of rock throwing, really, or that's what it feels like to me. Well, it feels like that to me from the church, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, from both sides. You probably haven't received the kind of criticism I have from the LGBT community. Yeah, I'm sure. It's both sides, you know. But so then it comes down to what what does the Bible say homosexuality is and that trouble of is it sin? And and I mean a perspective I uh, is looking at scripture like I described yesterday, dismissing the clobber passages and looking at over what is the overarching message of what is ideal for sexual relationship. Because, you know, if you look at all of the polygamy and, and even adultery, God has a lot of mercy. He has a lot of grace for sexual sin. Even though we have the Levitical 
You know, you're going to be stoned to death if you commit adultery or if you commit homosexual acts. Like, God didn't kill David, for example. There are many examples of uh, crossing the line sexually all throughout the scriptures, but that doesn't change the fact that God's ideal seems to be sexuality expressed between a man and a woman. You know, that from the gay community feels, oh, like a rock. And I don't mean to throw that as a rock. I'm just saying, here it is. This is what it says. And and so when you're experiencing same-sex attraction and that seems out of reach, what are you supposed to do with that? And And how should you respond to that? And there's a whole section of the church that says, well, since that's impossible for me, I'm just going to dismiss it, right? And hope that it has no implication. Like, hope that God is going to um, value me for doing the best I can to have a healthy relationship, like even be married and have a family, right? And But then there's a whole other section in the church, which would probably be most of the people in Changed, who would say, well, God is bringing, he's bringing restoration. He's he's promised that he's establishing the kingdom of God on earth. And so what is my responsibility towards that? And do I wait, hopefully, for the restoration of my sexuality, or do I contend for the restoration of my sexuality? And, and... The problem with that is just like physical healing, where so much of the church has said, well, God doesn't heal cancer or cancer is your fault, right? You have some sin in your family, therefore you have cancer or God doesn't heal cancer. You know, there's a whole section of the church that would never say this. Well, those of us in changed would tend to say, my life doesn't measure up to the standard of what scripture says. That doesn't mean that God can't do something incredible in my life. And why wouldn't I contend for that? And, and you know, contending for things in the Lord can be challenging and troubling. I think um, a couple things I'd want to bring up is that, you know, when you look at the historical context and time of the Bible, there is no homosexual relationship expressed. Um, and the clobber passages are really about um, sexual assault and abuse and orgies and, you know, all of these things that are harmful to the psyche, to the body. There is no expressed, there's two men that love each other to pieces and I hate that, saith the Lord. Yeah. So, like, there wasn't, it's not addressed in there, but there's also a many things that are not addressed in there that, you know, whether it be climate change or abortion or, you know, birth control, all of the things that we contend with just as society moves forward. So it's hard for me to look at the Bible and say, because there is an ideal, because the way we create children with man and woman, that that is the only acceptable thing for God versus he was speaking about that because a huge population of the world does fall into that. And he was simply addressing it. And it was simply, yes, the way the world began, but you know, why does it have to stay that way if people are showing otherwise? And then I think the other question I have for you is, and I said this to you yesterday, and I want to make this very clear to the God is Great audience, that I think it is very important to affirm and believe people when they say they've had experiences. Like, mystical experiences are beautiful to me. The Holy Spirit did not stagnate 2,000 years ago when the Bible stopped being written. So I absolutely believe in the experience you're telling me you had. And anyone in the change movement that shares their experience, I don't think they deserve to be criticized or told they're liars, etc. for that. But I really am curious if someone told you the same thing and they granted you and had the respect to say, okay, you had a mystical experience that led you to this. I honor that. I believe you. I had a mystical experience where God completely affirmed my relationship with my girlfriend and I'm living in peace and I know that God said, go forth in this. Do you validate the opposite experience? I, like I said yesterday, I, I can't just for this reason. Like I said earlier, that I, 
I feel that the overarching theme of scripture is that healthy sexuality falls in the context of a lifelong committed marriage between a man and a woman. I'm not saying that we all measure up to that. I'm saying that's the ideal. And so, um, I mean, if I may on that too, I think ever since I was a little girl, I don't remember how old I was when I heard being gay was a sin, but I think it was quite young. And I remember struggling and battling with that for so long um, because it never resonated. It never made sense. It always was like disconcerting to my spirit. And my main question was, I can look at every single kind of sexuality. And I'm very open with my audience about the ways that I've lived sexually in ways that harmed my body, promiscuity, like things that I now understand really harmed me for different reasons. And yes, I agree, a committed relationship with someone, you know, if you're being faithful to each other, if you're honoring each other truly is the most healthy, wonderful relationship you can be in sexually. But... For all of a myriad of sexual sins in a non-affirming environment, a monogamous, homosexual, committed relationship is the only sexual sin in which I see no harm being done to a person. It's consensual. I don't see joylessness. I don't see torment. Unless they're being told from outside sources in a non-affirming community that they're doing it wrong. It's like anything else, it's compared so often to pedophilia, to, you know, adultery, to all the other sexual sins, and they can all easily be traced to harm. I trace a a homosexual committed relationship and I see no harm. Why is that? Well, once again, you know, I can't remember, Brenda, what question I'm answering, but okay. (laughs) Whatever comes to your mind. It's like. Um, why wouldn't I validate someone else's mystical experience? And that is because um, I used scripture to, to evaluate whether, whether someone has legitimately experienced God. And, oh, boy, I can tell. I can, I can open a, a huge can of worms when I say, oh, I heard from the Lord and you didn't. And, and you know what? I don't make a practice of doing that. And I, I have friends in the gay community who are on opposite ends of the spectrum and I value what they believe. All right. Um, but for my own life, I have measured my own experiences in the supernatural realm based on what seems to be aligning with the message of the Bible. And I've used the Bible and evangelicals are taught to use the Bible to discern truth. And so is, is a, a you know, two gay married men, you know what? We see a lot of happy gay married men, but but um, I still say that that falls short of the ideal. And I couldn't tell you why that it falls short of the ideal. I, this is one of those places where I have to say, um, okay, I'm going to trust that God's definition of what is ideal is the right ideal. But I can say, now, you know, in in my own defense that my own experience of heterosexual marriage is different than all of my lesbian relationships. And, and let me tell you why. And some of the wisdom that I see from God in terms of opposite sex marriages, one of the things that my marriage brought to me or has brought to me is an understanding of how different I am from my husband. So, just the way I am in being. And as I have learned to get along with my husband and, and live in relationship with him, my relationship with him informs how I relate to all other men. And, and so beyond the, okay, natural procreation stipulations of marriage, there is virtue in opposite sex marriage for a broader culture. And so I, I mean, I think we would have to agree to disagree, Brenda, in terms of is a heterosexual marriage the same as a homosexual marriage? Sure, healthy, it can be healthy emotionally or it can seem healthy emotionally, but it still falls short physically. And so... 
Yeah. I mean, this brings me to something that I always hesitate to say because I don't want to, and I don't compare um, LGBTQ people to having a flaw. But if, let's say, going by your paradigm of the Bible being, you know, representing this perfect male-female relationship, then just by that argument, um, if someone is born blind or with one arm or with one leg, you know, the same thing, if, if you're a ministry, or it's not a ministry, if you're a collective group of people that support each other say that you can change, that God still works in people's lives to heal them, to make them whole, which would equate to becoming heterosexual, um, you know, and the same argument could go for, well, God can still do miracles. He can still change things. He can still, you know, go against biology and physicality and change and heal a blind person, heal a person with cancer, grow a leg back. But does the person that's blind have to walk into the community of faith, of church, believing that, first of all, there's something wrong with them and that God's ideal is for people to have sight and therefore their life is in some way lacking or God had made a mistake or that their faith isn't strong enough because they're not able to heal themselves of that? Um, or are they, just as the LGBTQ person, allowed to just realize that we live in a fallen world where we don't live in perfection. And sometimes, oftentimes, all of that diversity in the world is actually beautiful. And the ways that we're made or flawed are actually, you know, for all reflections of God, is the blind person not a reflection of God as just as much as the homosexual man a reflection of God? Do they have to spend their entire lives fighting to become the ideal just because, you know, we believe in the potential of a miracle. Well, I, I think that's a great question. And, and I don't, I don't, I, I think you and I would feel very similar in terms of what's the dignity of a person in the context of community. And, I mean, I, I don't disagree um, that a gay person should be able to come into a church family, the body of believers, and and feel worthy of being there, you know, and feel valued. And, you know, I, I would say a large part of my life has been contending for that. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so then the question that we are all grappling with as Christians is, at what point do you um, live now in the present and contend for what we hope for. So I have a very good, very close friend who's blind and she lives her life praying that she'll get her sight, but she still has to live as a blind person, right? Or Eric Johnson, who's deaf in one of his ears. He still lives his life. He still receives prayer for healing of his deaf ear, but he still has to live in the present. And so at what point do you say, do you accept, okay, well, this is not, this is not great. You know, this is not, this is not how I was supposed to be. This is not what I want. This is not how I, how I, things were supposed to be. And yet love yourself and be loved and cherished, but then hope for and contend for, still continue to contend for what we believe God wants to do. And, and I mean, I'm not saying I have the answer for that. I'm saying that is a real struggle. I mean, yeah, and I think I think it's difficult for me to understand how you, in your specific position, can advocate fully for the acceptance and love of the LGBTQ community in a in an environment like Bethel, for example. Um, if your genuine, you know, God fearing belief is that it is not right or it's not in um, God's will or God's desire that they actually have homosexual relationships. Um, because, you know, I have to bring up 
and these are not exaggerations. Like I've read the, um, the testimonials on your, you know, site and I see a lot of times people are saying I was, it was homosexual lifestyle was breeding, um, addiction and promiscuity and all of this pain in my life. And I would argue chicken or egg with that one because I see so many people in the LGBTQ community that were in non-affirming environments, whether it be their home or their church, and they, yes, did get into all of those harmful things. A lot of them that I am friends with um, found themselves in suicidal thoughts. And my perspective is that is because that is the fruit of telling someone that they are not accepted as they are. And it's the same thing with a blind person. Like, I think I would be living in torment if I was blind and every Sunday I walked in and felt like a part of my, you know, call was to get on stage yet again and get prayer and try to fight this thing versus honing in on the power of all my other senses and praying and trying to figure out why I was born this way, what my mission and purpose is as this uniquely made being that just happens to be blind. Because when I see people in the LGBTQ community take the latter approach, which is like, maybe it's not perfect, maybe it's a flaw of creation, but here I am, let's see what I'm bringing to the world as is. They come out of those addictions just the same way that your testimonials say people come out of their addictions. Yeah. So how do you decide which one's right? I mean... I mean, like, if I said, you know, I, um, my, I am more fulfilled today than I ever was before, or... I feel healthier today. I am more connected to the Lord today and I'm more hopeful today than I was before. You know, I'm sure you have LGBT friends who would say exactly the same. And Christian LGBT friends. I would well, say right. Yeah. Right. You know, so, I mean, nevertheless, I should have the right to share with others what I've found. And, you know, other people around me have had the same experience. And so, you know, members of the LGBT community would want me to never say that you can find fulfillment by leaving the LGBT community and would want to, you know, antagonistically say you're just suppressing something. I could say equally the very same message towards them. And, and so at, at some point we do have to get along. And, you know, I would say that, you know, people come to me and say my story, see, would foment abuse. In the same way, I would say their story does the same in causing abuse. And so. I mean, I guess in the most extreme cases, but for the most part, I don't know any LGBTQ people that are telling straight people that they need to change in any way. So I, I think it all comes down to that because I also wonder if, um, you know, the Bible obviously says to look at the fruit. I say again and again that we've planted trees of anti-LGBTQ doctrine and the fruit has been rotten for decades and we're still eating rotten apples with worms coming out of them when it comes to this subject. And someone like you is obviously trying to change that and trying to make the church a healthier, more welcoming environment. And again, I do appreciate that. But what if in your community of changed, you saw someone trying desperately to heal their orientation, if that's the language, and the fruit of that is suicidal thoughts, is torment, is feeling separate from God or unloved, would you be willing to accept that maybe the fruit of the doctrine is not right for them and they do have a right to live in that lifestyle or to make that choice and still fully pursue God without being told they're wrong? I think I would be inclined, if someone were feeling suicidal or feeling like despairing, I would be inclined 
to direct them to figure out why that is. See, the thing is, I mean, people have answered that question for me and they've said it was because they were being told by external people that they were not affirmed and that they were not allowed or welcomed by God to live in the love relationship. Because as we started this conversation, you're right, sexuality and sex itself is so fundamental to who we are as people. And it is an ecstatic experience um, in the right context with the right person. So if it is that important, I do think it is that harmful, potentially, to tell someone that that important thing is something that's wrong with them, that's something that God will not accept about them. Well, I, I don't, you know what? I have experienced so much mercy and grace from the Lord. You know, the, the Lord traveled with me for years as I was grappling with questioning my sexuality. And, and so, I mean, I, I'm completely willing to see the Lord operate in someone's life on an individual basis. And, um, Where it gets slippery for me is just how far do we go before we enter into, and bear with me as I say this, heresy. Like, how far can we go before I potentially offer someone a route that is outside of God's grace? And, you know, that would be the whole reason why anyone ever goes through conversion therapy is that fear that they would outrun or be outside of God's grace. You know, I, I, have, I have experienced so much pain over that issue. I've, I've experienced um, terror, and I've had, I even had nightmares before putting out some of my LGBTQ videos. I'm a mystical Christian as well. I wound up translating that as the darker forces, the lower level energies of the world trying to suppress the message that I was meant to put out, which is to affirm. But I know what you're saying is the point that I'm making. Like it is presented in the Bible. And if you're a Christian, you believe it, that misrepresenting God is, you know, one of the scariest things you could possibly do. And the last thing you want to do is mislead people in their lives. Like you said, outside of that grace but I also think a huge part of God is gray that I try to cultivate is I am not a theologian. I'm not a minister. I haven't gone to seminary. You know, you and I are different in that way. But I really value the, the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I really value people diving into the Bible and, and seeking it out for themselves. And I try to never give really, really definitive answers to things. You know, even when people write me and say, I am living with my boyfriend before marriage. Is that okay? I just always lead them back to resources, lead them back to my opinion, uh, but say this is something that's between you and God. And I think one of the most beautiful things the church can do and should do and doesn't do enough is tell people to trust themselves, to tell people that Jesus brought us the Holy Spirit, that will enable us to have these mystical experiences and this communication. And therefore, even if I or you say something terribly wrong and mislead someone, that they will be left feeling like, wait, I'm going to seek this on my own. I'm going to trust myself and see where I get, where I'm led to. And I like trusting that <laughs> and not being very definitive about certain things because I don't know. I think God is just so unique in everyone's life. I mean, that's, and that kind of aligns with the way my journey went out. You know, it, at the very beginning, I kind of, I, there were too many voices. I, you know, well, I instructions just, too. I felt like everyone's voice was in my head when I was going through a divorce. I had to completely separate myself because I was like, I can't hear anything, especially not myself, especially not the Holy Spirit. I mean, so really the bottom line, Brenda, for us, it changed is just that 
this group of people standing and looking at what they believe scripture says and saying, okay, how do I live with that? And what's the healthiest way for me to live with that? And, and that's what we're doing. And I really just, I really trust the Lord in that process. And I don't, um, and I, I think, I mean, all of my friends who have followed the path they have, there's been a great deal of personal responsibility over the choices they've made to follow their faith. And I think that we're in an incredibly amazing time of reformation in the church. I agree. And, and I believe that this issue, this issue about sexuality is one of the key topics, not not while we throw rocks at one another and say, well, I'm thriving in my, in my same sex marriage, right? Or, you know, adoption into a gay family is this or not this, like it's not happening while we're throwing rocks at each other. It's as we grapple with what's the meaning of sexuality. What's, what's the meaning of our bodies? What, how do we, how are we created in the image of God and what do we do what do we do about that? And what is, how do we respond to the gift of salvation? I think that's the biggest question. I think on the, on the issue of sexuality, while we all, you know, gay or straight, you're grappling with how to steward your sexuality and stay whole in the process. Yeah. I agree with everything you just said, you know, and like, I, I'm really, waiting for the revelation that God is going to release to all of us to understand what it is. What is sex? I mean, an interesting read for you could be the theology of the body by John Paul, II, second mm. Chris, Christopher West's writings. Um, now, you know, it tends to be non-affirming, so watch out, but it has some interesting <laughs> observations. <laughs> You know, if you overlook that, I mean, it's a comment on sexuality in general. Like John Paul II actually writes that he saw Eros as a sign, an icon, if you will, of our longing for God and God's longing for us. Mm-hmm. That it was a road sign of, of that longing. Not that we express our love for God through sex, per se, but that that inherent desire speaks to something more mysterious than just biology. Completely agree. So, I mean, as we grapple with this, the thing is, are we going to survive it? Well, I think a first part of surviving it is cultivating conversations like this. And I am really grateful that you were willing to come and talk to me and, um, That's one of the main things that I advocate for because I completely agree that there's a huge reformation going on in the church and that the crux, the foundation of it is sexuality. So it's interesting that we're completely aligned in that and still coming from polar opposite points of view on this one issue. So I think it's just a matter of time. And I think it's great that you are open. I always, you know, try to remain as open as possible to God and the Holy Spirit, of course, um, but also to other people. So if we both trust God, I guess we'll just pray that this sorts itself out. I think it's a great time if we can just survive it. You know? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're I really appreciate it. You too, you too. Well, I hope that your followers give me grace and mercy and just know that I'm doing my best to hold open spaces for, in the very least, an observation of what it means to really love one another well and, and to honor each other's paths before God.